0614-104-702. Talk at 9 with Gushwal Brooks. Of course, I'll give you all the contact details for where you guys can get a hold of me just now. But let's kick things off with the good doctor uh, and find out what is the state of play with COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. Good evening to you, doctor, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and good evening to your listeners. Of course, this seems to be a massive operation. I was looking at it um, in terms of the number of South Africans who are believed uh, to be in in Huan, uh, in in Hubei province as we speak at the moment. And it seems to be 199 people in total, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And the key question is obviously whether, I think first and foremost, closer to home, what people would like to know is whether we have any COVID-19 slash uh, coronavirus incidents or, or infections, known infections in South Africa. Yes, no, let me uh, categorically confirm that we do not have any cases in South Africa of COVID-19. Um, we do have two South Africans who were working on board the Princess Diamond cruise ship, which docked off the coast of Yokohama who did test positive for COVID-19. They are currently in Japan and will only be released once they are cleared of COVID-19. Sure. I mean, for a very long time, the African continent seemed to uh, steer clear of COVID-19. Unfortunately, I heard that uh, recently there was a case picked up in Nigeria. And if I'm not mistaken, before that in Northern Africa, if I'm, um, if I'm not mistaken, Algeria, there was also uh, incidents. So it seems that it has, you know, it's coming close to becoming that global phenomenon that was uh, feared uh, for some time. And the only part of the world, I think, uh, or the only continent in the world uh, that hasn't, uh, you know, come across COVID-19 seems to be Antarctica. So uh, in an effort to prevent anyone from moving to Antarctica, um, you're saying that, look, we, we don't necessarily have an issue in South Africa yet. We don't have any cases that have been picked up yet. Yes, look, I think that, and, and you know, we, we have always said this as we've been talking about COVID-19. Mm. You know, COVID-19 is not a very virulent uh, uh, coronavirus. You know, it's not like your MERS and your SARS, mm. which are extremely virulent. Now, what happens when you have a very, very, very virulent, so that's to say something that really is deadly. You know, I hear a lot of people saying the deadly coronavirus. I mean... 3% mortality rate, you know, it kills people, but so do other viruses. Mm. I'm not sure that it's so deadly. We've had, we've had much deadlier viruses. And the thing with those kind of very virulent viruses is that they tend to, they have a sharp increase and then they die down very quickly. And it's for very logical reasons because people are so sick, they don't move around infecting others. Um, they either just sort of die or they, you know, they're very sick and they just stay where they are. Now, when you have a, a virus that's not so virulent and people are, are still okay and, you know, even some may be asymptomatic, moving around, all of that, then you find that it does, in fact, spread quite a bit. Just like your common flu virus, mm. you know, you know, in your office, if somebody has it, you know, it spreads uh, throughout the entire office. So, so with coronavirus, really, um, I think the reality is that every continent is going to have it. In fact, every continent, as you say, does have it. Uh, we will see more spread. Uh, we're not going to see a rise in the actual mortality rate itself, I don't think. And in fact, I think what's going to eventually happen is that we're going to accept coronavirus, this particular coronavirus, COVID-19, just like we accept parainfluenza, influenza, chickenpox, and all sorts of other viruses. It's just, you know, sort of part of our lives. Mm. Um, and the most important thing is really to for us to get the studies in 
uh, really, really get the evidence in so that we get the clinical management protocols in place and we, 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 uh, we have very, very good treatment regimens, just like we have good treatment regimens for the other common things that we already know about. And what's really positive, what we mm. are seeing is really positive, particularly in China where the numbers are very big and they are managing coronavirus, is that we are seeing that uh, the doctors, uh, the clinicians are getting better and better at treating it. The recovery rates um, <clears throat> are, are exceeding new infections. You know, people, they are mm. managing to treat people at hospital, get them out of hospital, even the ones who are really sick. Um, and, you know, and, and just the medical precision of it all is just keeps getting better and better. So, so, so that's very positive. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the reality is that we are looking at a virus that is going to continue to spread, evolve. When I say evolve, not mutate. I just mean evolve in terms of its epidemiology across the world. We also will need to look at what it does to different population groups and under different socioeconomic circumstances. So it's really just all about us keeping an eye on things, taking all of the lessons, getting better and better at the way that we manage it medically. And, you know, you know, I think that we're looking at, at, at a virus that, yes, it will be around and it will probably be around forever, maybe. Um, but we will probably be able to manage it like we manage so many other pathogens. I hear you. So there's a couple of things that, I mean, and, and thanks for giving that explanation. And, I mean, that does, I think, uh, set the mind at ease a little more, especially around... Uh, what has, you know, what potentially is on the cusp. I don't know if it's a global pandemic yet, but I guess it's on the cusp of being that. But at the very same Mm. time, Doctor, I mean, um, for quite some time now, we've seen uh, the moment we saw this breakout um, of uh, this coronavirus, this COVID-19, there was uh, a couple of moves made by other governments to obviously evacuate their citizens, particularly from this region in China, uh, people who happen to be there. And for a very long time, people have been asking of Durko, of the Department of Health, and I know that you are not responsible for the repatriation of South African citizens, but much rather that would be uh, a function of, of, of... um, of Durko, which is the Department of International Relations. But at the very same time, a lot of people have been saying, but hang on, when are we actually going to get our people back who find themselves in the space? Finally, that is happening. Why did it take so long? Was there no real concern over the fact, um, uh, was there no need for, for, for us to evacuate people? And if not, why so? So, you know, when we speak of evacuation um, of citizens, it, there's many, many factors that come into play. Um, and every country made their decisions actually based on different reasons mm. um, and not necessarily about necessarily the exposure or the way that the Chinese are managing COVID-19. You know, we maintain and, uh, you know, I'm sure when the, when, when the citizens come here, in fact, you know, a lot of, there are some citizens who have returned of their own volition. And I'm sure you've noticed when they do get interviewed, they're actually pretty positive about how uh, stringent and uh, careful the Chinese have been about protecting not only their own citizens, but also uh, foreign citizens who are living there um, with, with the measures that have been put in place. Actually, the difficulties have been that the, the, the sequelae of those strict measures in place, and in particular where there are lockdown conditions. And that's really what has been... Uh, what, what has actually brought us here to, to, to repatriate our citizens home. Now, I must just say that um, uh, a lot of people think that this is sort of a decision that we just suddenly made now, that we suddenly woke up and, oh, my goodness, we must uh, evacuate. Not at all. 
we have been in constant dialogue with the people who are living in Wuhan. And initially, mm-hmm. yes, there were one or two who said, yes, I want to come home. But actually, most of them said, well, look, you know, we're still managing. Uh, it, it is tough, but, you know, we have uh, we built our lives here. We have our lives here. And um, let's, let's see how it goes. You know, I think people must remember that we're not talking here about, you know, just you know, cows, you know, with the foot and mouth disease. We're talking about people who had lives, who were living their lives, who are trying to build lives, who are trying to do things. That's why they were there in China. Um, and, and so it, it was a complex decision and was a complex decision for them too. But the conditions did start to get quite difficult, particularly under the lockdown conditions. And more and more South Africans then came forward and said, look, we would actually like to go home. Um, they actually, in fact, in some cases, they were quite organized. Like, for example, there were some students who had completed their studies mm. and sort of organized to say, okay, look, we actually have, we're done with our studies. Um, you know, can we come home? So eventually when the numbers started to look, you know, quite big and um, and, and, and the conditions started to look quite difficult uh, and the reasons for their asking, it, 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 then, then, you know, then we heated that call. So it was continuous discourse um, with the citizens all the time, mm. ascertaining their needs. And it wasn't like, we're like, okay, let's see, let's see. No, you know, we're sending supplies, the Chinese were sending supplies as well, uh, and we're ensuring that uh, in the meantime they were kept, uh, you know, as comfortable as possible, that they had all the things that they needed. Um, but then, of course, you know, just like, you know, just like with anything in life, you, 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 you manage a situation and then you get to a point where you actually have to turn left or turn right. Um, so, you know, so we've just gotten to that point and, and, and that's really the reality of how this all unfolded and how we got to this decision. Now, on that basis, I mean, there's a couple of things that immediately come up for me that I think would be important to to find out about as well, because there's 199 uh, people, uh, South Africans, uh, citizens in in, in, um, Hubei uh, province, in um, one city in particular. Uh, I see that 147 of them are returning. What happened to the remaining 52? Because I see that they are... A couple of those 52 are accounted for. I see that there's uh, 16 of those citizens who said that they would not like to return um, or that they don't feel the need to return. I see that there's also um, another one uh, that has then since, I think, left with uh, you know a couple of people who then went to India. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure what, you know, I guess that person felt that, listen, I really need to leave. Had a couple of friends from India and figured that, you know, I might as well go along with them. Uh, the remainder, do we know what their status is and where they find themselves? Yes, so um, so the numbers have changed now since even the uh, the press release. Um, in fact, during the press release, I don't know, maybe you didn't get a chance to listen, but Mr. Chetis of Durko actually said that uh, already there were a further 12 mm. who had contacted uh, who had contacted Durko to say, uh, to put their hands up and say, we, we also want to come home. So, um, look, we, the, the number 199 is an estimate, you no. know. Um, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, when people travel of their own volition, um, it, 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 it does, the onus does fall on the traveler to inform the embassies that they are there. So um, the, embassies, the embassy, Durko has done a great job to actually physically track down as many people as they possibly can. We may we may see the numbers going up, even of the estimate of people who are there, because more more and more people are probably going to put their hands up and say, "Oh, you know what? I'm here." Number two, the process is a voluntary process. You, you don't have to, uh, you know, you, nobody is yeah. forced to. The only time where we we're going to make some legal 
uh, enforcement is, is now when the person has made a decision that then you have to then stick with the quarantine protocol. And, and that's where, you know, the legalities come in. But otherwise, the decision to leave Wuhan is very much a voluntary decision, as, was, as you know, was the request, and we responded to that request. Um, so, yes, there were 16 who said, no, they're fine. And then we, we had about 34 missing, although I don't know if those 12 came from that, from that that you probably can't say. Uh-huh. But, um, yes, but, but those ones at Doko, they do actually know about them, and they're trying to physically track them down. Um, and they've put out information in China, we've put out information here in South Africa so that the families and friends can let us know. So we are actively trying to track them down, and we really hope that they will come forth and either tell us that, no, we're fine, thank you, or yes, we would also like to come home. Fair enough. Okay, so of course, um, we, we now know of, of those people. What happens to them when they return? Because of course, there would be great relief by uh, family members and friends and people who know these people once they return back to South Africa. But simultaneously, uh, for the rest of the country, people might be a bit jittery that there's potentially uh, more than 100 people, if not you know, nearly 150 people coming back to South Africa um, who, um, you know, uh, were in a part of the world where, which has basically been described as ground zero for uh, COVID-19. Right. Okay, so just to allay everybody's uh, anxieties, before uh, the citizens leave, they will be screened. Anybody who exhibits symptoms, test positive or anything like that, or if there's any red flags that are raised, um, or if they don't want to follow the quarantine protocol, will be left behind and will be referred to the relevant authorities in China, whether it be health authorities or just, just to say that, you know, look, they're actually still going to stay and they will maybe self-quarantine at home and still uh, be subjected to the uh, local rules there in China, whatever the case may be. So we're only going to let people on the flight who are actually healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, by the way, we don't have any South Africans in China who are COVID positive. So, um, we, you know, we, so we, we, we're not dealing here with anybody who's sick. The, the fact that we are putting in the quarantine measure is, is to make 100% sure yeah. that we don't have a situation where we import the virus and then it spreads in the country. So but, what's going to happen is they come on board the flight. Yeah. They land at a particular base, which is not going to be a commercial uh, landing facility. Okay. It's going to be an army base. Um, and then there's going to be a complete isolation chain that is going to be maintained throughout their transit until they get to the quarantine facility. The quarantine facility is going to be guarded by the military. Mm-hmm. The police will probably also have to reinforce. Nobody's going to be allowed in there. Certainly won't be allowed out. And anybody who also comes, anybody who's supporting this mission and comes into direct contact with the uh, with the repatriates mm. in this in this chain immediately falls into the quarantine as well. Uh, they will then remain in the quarantine area, mm. uh, and we will allow for full fourteen days to pass, uh, which is uh, to allow the incubation period to pass. Supposing that nothing happens and everything is fine, everybody then gets tested. We wait for the test to come back. When they're negative, if the tests all come back negative, we then counsel them and we make sure that we get all their details and everything, and then we allow them to uh, be reintegrated into society. So it really is a very, very strict, strict, strict operation 
strict isolation chain maintained, strict pro- uh, quarantine uh, protocol, which is going to be run by the military. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something, it's not something we've, we've done this before. So it's not something new that we haven't done. The military is very, very familiar with these procedures. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, and, and the quarantine facility itself will be very far away from any, you know, uh, town or, you know, any, any, any human settlement. Um, so, so really, you know, be, this, is, this is going to be really a, 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 an operation of precision. Um, and, uh, you know, South Africans really, South Africans should only feel very, very grateful that we are going to be able to do this. There's lots of countries in Africa do not have the means to be able to do this. Sure. Um, yeah, so we should just be happy that we're going to be able to do this, get our, get our citizens home that have asked to come home, and eventually, at some point, they will be reunited with their families. I think this is something that should be more comforting and uh, causing fear and anxiety. Sure. Do- Dr. Manzi, I mean, there's this one thing that you mentioned, obviously the, uh, you know, the process that leads up to returning home, being placed into quarantine. So it's clear that the Department of, or the Department of Health is taking every pr- single procedure uh, and possible measure to, to ensure that you are keeping uh, people who are in South Africa safe from COVID-19. I mean, we don't have any um, uh, COVID-19 cases in South Africa. So surely that's how you maintain that zero uh, rated uh, s- level by, by, by ensuring that you're not going to sort of spread this uh, disease and have people get, come into contact, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the big question then is, isn't there, and then don't get me wrong, I'm not sure of what the ethics are by this, uh, behind this. I don't know what the law says about this. But isn't there an ethical duty um, on, on the Department of Health when it comes to our own citizens? If someone, say, is, for example, found to be positive, that you return them back, uh, provide them with a healthy environment. Obviously, I know that there's no cure for COVID-19 except for what your own immune system supposedly can do to the disease. Um, isn't there a duty that we look after our own and make sure that they're okay rather than sort of leaving them to the hands of uh, another country and saying that, well, it's your your virus, you guys sort of sort it out? So remember, the World Health Organization declared a public health emergency of international concern. Mm. That, was, that is precisely why they made that declaration. It's to ensure that the world becomes a, a, a global village in regards to how we treat this. So there's no more Chinese, Japanese, American, Italian, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. It's the whole world dealing with a virus, a new virus that we all need to deal with. That is the fundamental principle of that particular declaration. Mm-hmm. So wherever any human being may find themselves, they should not be disadvantaged just because they're not from that country or they're female or they're old or they're this or they're whatever the case may be. They're, if they're in that country and they get coronavirus, they will be managed. So whether we're bringing people home and we're managing them at home or they're in China and they don't want to come home and they're staying in China or we've made a decision not to move people because of whatever the case may be. I'm not talking about as I'm just saying mm. any, any country that's making any of these kind of decisions has absolutely no bearing on what it means for an individual who finds themselves infected with coronavirus. That is a very important... I'm, sorry, I'm very glad that you asked this question, actually, because I think people... Um, get, uh, I don't know, maybe they conflate certain ideas 
or they conflate certain narratives that are emerging, particularly on social media, which is very unfortunate. You know, narratives mm. of division, narratives of xenophobia, narratives of... Yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't ask it for that reason. I'm, I'm just simply trying yeah. to understand yeah, what is our responsibility as a nation towards... Yes, it's a very valid question. It's, uh, it's not to say, it's, uh, it's not a, a criticism of the question. It is a valid question mm. because, because there's so much fear uh, of the unknown. It's an unknown uh, situation. There's so much fear. Um, you know, these kind of um, questions do arise. And, and, and so that's why I want to absolutely make this point that, uh, you know, of the, the, the WHO declaration, that, mm. that is what is of paramount importance. It is to ensure that the world cooperates in the way that we deal with this virus and that it cooperates in a manner that it protects humanity at large mm. without any considerations of where any particular individual should or shouldn't be or where they come from or whatever the case may be. So let's not get caught up in public policy and in this and in that. At the end of the day, we all need to coordinate our activities in a manner that is going to protect us all from coronavirus if we don't have coronavirus. And if you do that, you get the treatment that you need. And we obviously want to contain this thing at the end of the day. In the beginning, yes, mm. I did say that, of course, it's spreading. It's spread by droplets. So we cannot, it's not, you know, it's really, it's, we cannot stop the spread. Mm. But if mm. we can put in measures to try and contain it as much as possible and manage it as well from a mass sort of public policy perspective. Um, and it is a global coordination at the end of the day. 100%. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for your time. All the best to you and uh, good luck. Uh, let's uh, try to obviously maintain that record that we have at the moment of zero uh, infection in, in South Africa itself. Indeed. So thank you very much for having me on your show. No problem. Thank you. That was Dr. Loazi um, Manzi, who is the spokesperson for the Ministry of Health. And as I said, uh, you know, uh, all the best f- uh, to her and the ministry and the work that they are doing in trying to contain corona and keeping it out of South Africa. I mean, I'd like to hear what your thoughts are, what your uh, responses would be to, to that conversation and obviously just generally our response when it comes to the coronavirus. And you can do that on 011-883-0702 a little later on. Alternatively, 021-446-0567 if you're calling out of Cape Town. And then um, more importantly, you guys can also, not more importantly, but also you guys can get a hold of me on social media. All that you have to do there is look for hashtag talk at nine, both on Facebook as well as on Twitter. And uh, 072-702-1702 for your WhatsApp messages, 31702 um, or 31567 for your SMSs.